Let us go ahead and go before the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father God, we thank you so much for your unconditional love, your tender mercy, your loving kindness, your patience in our lives. We thank you, Lord, also for the power of your spirit, the presence of your spirit, and the beautiful reminder, Lord, that we are dearly loved by you. God, I pray today that you would stir the affections of our hearts, that we would let go of those things that that weigh us down and that we would cling to that which is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Lord, as we read through your word and as we uh, just dig into your scriptures, Holy Spirit, would you dig into our hearts and would you sow the seed of the gospel and fan it, Lord, that it would bear much fruit and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, man, you know, this is this is Houston weather for you, like for real. It was hot just a day or two ago, and all of a sudden it, it got cold, and all of a sudden got hot, then it rained, and now it's muggy outside. That's what I'm talking about. So um, we have Bibles also. Thank you, Brother Howard. We have Bibles in the back. If in case you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We have um, a brother, a few brothers back there that will be handing out Bibles. And that way we can follow along as we study through God's Word. Anyone need a Bible? Going once, going twice? No one does. Okay. So let's go ahead and read. We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Once again, uh, we are almost at the end. We've been in the Gospel of Mark for a few months already. It's been quite a journey and experience and surely has produced a, a deepening a deepening our understanding for who Christ is as Mark began to announce it in the very first verse of the gospel that this is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And so all throughout the gospel of Mark, he is building up this information about who Jesus is. And now we're getting to the last part of Mark where he is not only laying this powerful foundation for us, but it is allowing us to see behind the curtain as to the what we call the passion of the Christ, the, the sufferings of Christ as he goes to the cross. And so we are on Mark chapter 15, and this is what the word of the Lord says. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consolation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Verse 6, Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate, to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, 
Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him released for them Barabbas instead. Verse 12, And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And he cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. Verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in, in purple cloaks and twisted together a crown of thorns. And they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And down in the homage, and down, and they were striking him, and his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put on his put put his clothes on him, and they led him out to be crucified. So this is again. We saw. The, uh, the last week that Brother Howard was communicating about the sufferings that Jesus was experiencing. And what we're beginning to see, imagine like you go to a play and they open up the curtains. And as they're opening up the curtains, you're seeing little by little as the curtains are opening up. But at the very center of the stage is the very cross of Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, his sufferings that he will undergo for you and I and so this is what we're seeing Mark is opening up those curtains and and we are beholding what Jesus will experience for us but we saw that Jesus was betrayed by his own disciples that he was handed over to the religious leader that Jesus was abandoned by all of his disciples and that Jesus was denied by one of his closest friends he would endure spiritual suffering, emotional suffering, and physical suffering. Now, as we keep studying, we're going to see as we're drawn closer and closer to the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, we saw that last week that Jesus was in a court hearing. It was an unfair trial. And right after that, he began to be mistreated. He was treated unfairly. And we saw how Peter denied him and he began to weep bitterly. And now we get to the point that it's morning. So this is all night that Jesus is undergoing through this. And it says in verse 1, As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consolation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. Now in here we're seeing that the whole Sanhedrin had gathered together and they had built up a case against Jesus. They knew that they had to build up a case quick and they had to present it fast because the next following day what was going to take place was 
the Passover. And the Jews could not be guilty of, look, back then the Jews, the way they would kill somebody was by stoning them, right? Well, they wanted to give them over to the Roman Empire because death for them was through crucifixion. So that way they could clean their hands off and the rest of the Jewish people wouldn't have an uproar against the religious leaders, but shift over the blame to the Roman Empire. Now, so immediately, swiftly, he's given over. He's given over to Pilate. Pilate was a Roman governor of Judea. He was a governor during the time of 26 to 36 AD, but this governor was a cruel and harsh governor who despised the Jews. He was not in favor of the Jews. So there's something that's taking place here because the, the moment that they bring Jesus to him, the religious leaders are giving him a list of all the bad things that Jesus has done, but there's only one thing that concerned Pilate. Look at what verse 2 says. And Pilate asked them, Are you the king of the Jews? There was only one thing that concerned Pilate. It wasn't all the other stuff that the Jewish people were concerned about, the chief priests were concerned about. It was the one thing, are you the king of the Jews? Now, in the Gospel of Luke, we have a more specific detail of the kind of list. And in Luke 23, verse 2 to 3, it says this, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? That's what troubled Pilate. You see, Pilate was more concerned with there be another king arising. He didn't care about everything else. He cared about his own reputation. He cared about keeping the peace among the people. Like he was easily persuaded by the crowds, as we will see in a little while. In Matthew chapter 2, we see that the wise men came to King Herod. This is before Jesus was born. And he comes to, they come to King Herod and they're telling them, we're trying to find the one that's going to be born that will be king of the Jews. Oh, King Herod got upset. What do we know that he did? He began killing a lot of the babies. Because he didn't want someone to rise up in power and take his place. That kind of authority, that kind of power, only one man wanted to hold it. But that was destined for only the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so what we see here is that King Herod was upset by the soon birth of Jesus. But now we have at the very end of Jesus' earthly life, the governor, Pilate, was also concerned. You see, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied about Jesus in the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And I read to you what it says on there. It says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
This was already prophesied about Jesus. It was predicted that there will be a king who will come and he will reign. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And so this is what we see Jesus here being the fulfillment of that. So right before Pilate is the true king. The true king that is not only the king of the Jews, but the king of kings and lord of lords. It is Jesus Christ himself that would stand before him. And that is why Jesus, we see the gospel of John, John capturing something else. This is what he captures in the conversation with Jesus. It says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have fought for me so that I would not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, again, is not of this world. Jesus was speaking of an eternal kingdom. Yeah, he is the king. He is the king of kings. And so, this powerful moment taking place where Pilate and, and Jesus are in front of each other. Jesus, remember, was at the beginning before the religious authority and they were trying to accuse him. Jesus standing in center place and he just, he, he gives an affirmation to who he is. Now he is before the irreligious authorities. And again, he gives an affirmation to he, who he is. And what we see here that both with the religious people, Christ is at the center. The irreligious people, Christ is at the center. And that is, again, a reminder to us that the gospel is the centerpiece to it all because both to the irreligious and to the religious people, the gospel is the answer. It is the way that we should walk in. So we see both the religious people are concerned about Jesus being the Messiah and the irreligious people that Jesus is going to be the new king that's going to come and turn everything over. But this is a beautiful picture of, the, man, everything is unbalanced apart from Jesus. Both the irreligious people had it wrong and the religious people had it wrong. And today, in the same way, we find that. The irreligious people finding their own salvation and their own methods. And the religious people also finding salvation in their own good work their own human effort so you find both extremes but what is the centerpiece Jesus and so what we see here then that Pilate tells him look they've been accusing you and in verse 4 says have you no answer to make see how many charges they bring against you but Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. So man, he was tripping out like, Jesus, come on, like, you're not going to like try to persuade me to try to release you? No, you affirmed who you are. Like, like look at all these accusations and, and you ain't even worried about that. That is reminding us, man, like the chief of our salvation, the captain of our salvation, he did not cower away, but he continued to go straight on to the cross of Calvary. As Scripture says, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. Can you imagine that? 
he knew the sufferings. He knew that when he carried the cross, he was going outside of the walls, never to come back in. He was going to go outside to die. And he said, for the joy that was set before him. And so we see a beautiful picture of our Savior here, the true King of kings, the Lord of lords, who exercises power and authority and who brings salvation to all those who would trust in him. Now we get to this other point in verse 6. Now in verse 6, we see that Jesus is going to, Jesus is the true son of the Father. Now, verse 6 says this. Now, at the feast, it was used to release for them a prisoner who they would ask for. Verse 7, among the rebels in prison, someone who had committed murder in the insurrection, a man called Barabbas. I mean, can you imagine that? The crowd is in uproar. They're like, release Barabbas. Keep in mind that this is the same crowd that a few days before that was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. God, really? They're praising Jesus as he's going in, the same crowd. And it is this same crowd that turns against them. This same crowd that praised him is now saying, crucify him? Whoa. But we're like, man, them dudes are tripping. But man, we fall under the same category. There's days that we're praising the Lord, and there's other days that we're forgetting what it costs to bring a people like us into his family. We forget the power of the cross. And so, in here, we're seeing this persuasion taking place, and we see it says, this man Barabbas, Barabbas, who had committed murder, and, and Mark is specific about detailing these things out. He's communicating something to us. Look what he says in verse 8. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate, do as you usually do for them. And he answered them, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him. Now we're going to see that Mark is specifically given motive. Mark is going to give motive for why the religious people are doing what they're doing and the irreligious authority doing what he did. Follow with this. He says that the... Uh, he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him released for them. Barabbas instead. Look at who's instigating it, man. Like, you know, back, back then, like someone like tries to mess with you and they're like, ooh, ooh you're going to let him do that and this and that. Stirring up the people to get it more agitated. I could imagine the chief priest doing this. Like, no, look, look. You need to tell them, release the other guy, release them. Man, the hatred that the religious people had in their hearts. They hated that which they could not understand. And they knew that they could not stop Jesus. So they thought death would probably stop them, but we know death would not stop Jesus, right? So they're thinking that, okay, we're going to somehow put up this plan together and have him handed over. 
but that's not going to take place. So he says, have them release Barabbas. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? Can you see that? What evil has Jesus done? Even Pilate, an irreligious person who is filled with all kind of hatred, recognizes that Jesus has no guilt to him. Man, the religious people, they were still, mm -mm. they shouted all the more, crucify him. Shouted all the more. It got more intense. Like the crowds were crying out even more, crucify him. Ain't no one else around to protect Jesus. Jesus all by himself. I mean, just follow with me. What do you think is going on at that moment? His disciples are scattered abroad. And everyone shouting out, crucify him. And the voices are getting more intense. And Jesus is by himself. All alone by himself. Enduring this agony. Enduring this moment of anguish. Where these are the same people that I walked with. That I taught. That I did miracles among. And now here they're trying to crucify me. But this is so amazing. Because what we see, family, is that although evil intentions were being brought about by these men, it was all the plan of God. Never did it stumble the plan of God. Never did God say, oh no, they're fixing to crucify my son. No, he knew that my son was supposed to do that to liberate us from the oppression of the evil one. You see, in here, the crowd, hey, they wanted Barabbas. You know, the crowd was tired of the Roman Empire oppressing them. So the Jews wanted someone like Barabbas to lead a kind of revolt against that empire. They said, no, 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 we don't want someone like Jesus who preaches like he does, who's walking around in lowly service with acts of love. We don't need someone like him. We need someone like Barabbas, someone courageous, someone who's ready to throw it down, someone who's ready to go before us and help us. You see, in here we're seeing, man, the value system of the world, it, man, is jacked up, man. They're thinking that somehow the oppression they're under will be broken by this human effort of a murderer, a criminal. And so here we see a powerful picture, family, of how the value system of the world is so focused on, on strength, is so focused on like maybe you have to have this hatred and anger inside of you and, 
and you know we could use a leader like that and and they dismissed what Jesus had been doing all this time but what we see in the gospel it is the weak it is the lowly it is the outcast it is all those who have been pushed away it is the tax collector it is the prostitute it is the drunkard it is all those who Jesus comes and he sits at the table with them. And he begins to communicate about the kingdom. Not the Pharisees. Not the religious folk. And in here we're seeing that the Jews had it all messed up. Man, they were, their focus was in something else. They really thought that Barabbas being released would help them. But now, Barabbas, his name actually means son of the father. The irony in this. Son of the father. And what we have right now is that Jesus is the true son of the father. You see where Barabbas, they thought that Barabbas was going to help them to be released from this human oppression, that little did they know that Jesus, the true son of the Father, was going to truly release them from the evil oppression of the devil. Offering true salvation, true redemption, true reconciliation, something that human effort could not accomplish, that only Jesus can accomplish. And so what we have then, family, it is a portrait of what we see in the gospel. Because Barabbas, being a criminal and a rebel, he's, his story is just like ours. I remember one time they asked me to uh, preach at a, at a, at a wedding. And the brother was, um, you know, back then we would go evangelizing a lot. And, and he said, man, I, you know, come and, you know, you, you preach in there, man, brother. And I'm like, all right, man. So <laughs> I preached this, the text out of, uh, in, in the gospel. I don't remember if it was Mark or not, but it was the story of Barabbas. And I remember telling the whole people that were there, I said, man, we are all like Barabbas here. Man, you can see the religious folk look at me like, oh, man, I ain't, I'm not like that. I'm not like that, guys. Man, I'm telling you. We think so highly of ourselves. As if we have never sinned against God. But I tell you, when the light of the gospel shines upon our hearts, it is wicked. Bro, I'm telling you, Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our hearts are desperately wicked. They're sick. They're always trying to find ways to cover themselves. But the gospel's coming in and he said, no, 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 you don't have to hide no longer. I'm coming in but to cleanse you. And this is what we're seeing that Barabbas is a picture of you and I. When we stand before God, both you and I, man, we've sinned against God. So well, I'm not a murderer. But Jesus said, if you hated your brother, it's the same as you committed murder. 
Have we ever headed anyone? Yeah. I'll raise my hand first. Right? Thank you, brother. Man. Bunch of sinners in the house. Amen. We've had hate. And we still struggle with that. So it's a reminder we're no different than Barabbas. But what we see here that Barabbas was released. He was released. And Jesus came in. And now Jesus is the one that's going to be handed over to be crucified. This again is a reminder of the great exchange. What, what theologians would call double imputation. In 2 Corinthians, and I'll read this for you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is, you know, a, a passage that, that is dear to my heart. And um, so I'll explain why right now. It says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is what it says in verse, I'll start with verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. For whose sake? Our sake. He made him, that's he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. The word knew is saying that not even his conscience was guilty of sin. Can you imagine that? Like we struggle with a guilty conscience, right? Jesus didn't have no guilty conscience. Imagine that, man. I'm like, wow, Lord. He made him who knew no sin, no sin, and look at what he says. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now follow with me. That in who? In Jesus. So follow with me. This is very important. In Jesus. And here's we, me and you are right here on this side, right? And Jesus on this side. And so it says, in him, so that in him you and I might become the righteousness of God. In order to enter heaven into the very presence of God, not only do we need to be sinless, not committed no sin, our sins are paid for, they're forgiven by, by the cross of Jesus, right? But we also need the perfect life of Jesus. You and I have not lived a perfect life, right? Man, man, I hear like maybe some did, huh? Like, no, all of us. For real, we jacked up from the floor up. On the real, like we are. That's why we look outside of ourselves to a righteousness that's not of our own. It is the righteousness of Jesus. And it is His righteousness that is accepted before the Father. So today when God looks at you and I, He's not seen our imperfect record. He is seeing the perfect record of Jesus. That is why you and I, when we stumble and fall, do not stay there in your shame. You get right back up because you have the same access 
that everyone else does to the Father because of Jesus. He is the anchor of our soul. He is the forerunner who has gone before us. And He's parted the curtains so that we can enter in. You don't have to... Oh, let me clean myself up. Like, like I don't know if He's going to accept me. Like, No, 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 no. The enemy... The accuser of the brethren, which is day and night, is accusing us. Who's being accused here in the passage? Jesus is being accused. So he already took those accusations in our behalf. But you don't know what you did the other day. I was going to say, you don't know. I know what you did last summer, right? <laughs> you don't know what you did the other day. You don't know what you did the other day. Like, remember that? Remember this? And it, 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 I do remember that, but I also remember the cross of Calvary. Let the love of Christ shine brightly upon us as a sweet, sobering reminder of who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. Not because of our works, but because of the works of someone greater. And that is Jesus. So when we see the picture of Barabbas being released, he is being treated as Jesus deserves to have been treated. Now Jesus will be treated as Barabbas deserves to have been treated. The same thing with you and I. This is what we see in the gospel. At the cross of Calvary, Jesus is being treated as you and I deserve. Your sins and my sins deserve punishment. And Jesus stood in our place. This is what we talk about, our substitute. He stood in our place. And now the Father will look down upon the Son and say, guilty, guilty, guilty for the sins of my people. And he will look at us, says, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. And it is not because of we, us doing anything. This is what makes the gospel so scandalous. Because it is telling you and I, your good works are not good enough. But what do you mean? They're not. It is the works of Jesus Christ. And so we get to this point here where Barabbas is released, a picture of the gospel being displayed before us that you and I can easily identify with Barabbas. And truly find it a moment of, like, Lord, it is your goodness and your kindness. Titus 3, 4 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of work done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. His own mercy. I'm telling you, there was nothing in us that motivated God to say, you know what, I need someone like him in my family, someone like him in my team. There was no 
strength, no intellectual stuff that we can bring to the table. It was just our filthy rags. Prophet Isaiah said that. Your, your, your righteous deeds are like filthy rags before a holy God. And so we're reminded of this as we're seeing this picture unfold before us. And so now, verse 15 says, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Verse 16, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. Can you imagine that? The whole battalion now in Jesus at the center. And look at what they do. They put a purple cloak on him. Purple again, signifying royalty. They're mocking Jesus. They're making fun of him. They're saying, you're the king of the Jews. And they say, look, it says they begin to say, hell, the king of the Jews. They begin to put together a, a, a crown of thorns. And they put it on Jesus, mocking them all the way to the cross. Man, this is, I mean, we can't capture the fullness of everything that took place. But as we read the text, it helps us to kind of see a little bit more. But I'm telling you that as this is taking place, this is exactly the path that you and I deserve to have walked. But yet Jesus stood in our place, obediently walking to the point of death, death on that cross. And so now we have here where they're saluting him, hell king of the Jews, and they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him. And they led him out to be crucified. We get to the point, family, where we see now that Jesus, when he stood before the religious authority, they were so concerned that he was going to create havoc amongst the people as they heard that he was claiming to be the Messiah, people calling him the Messiah, even Peter himself claiming that he was the Son of God, the Christ that was going to come. They could not comprehend that. So Jesus here, before the religious people, then he's handed over to the irreligious authorities. And they themselves could not comprehend and what you find that the motives behind the group, the first group being the religious people, their motives to try to get him crucified, it said that even Pilate saw that they envied him. They were jealous of him. They envied what Jesus represented. They could not comprehend that. Then when we see with the irreligious authorities, we see that Pilate was moved by the crowd. They, he, he wanted to satisfy the crowd. 
He was drawn by the approval of man. That's what moved it and governed his heart. What are people going to say about me? So they hand over Jesus. Now I'm sure we've had those moments where we just put Jesus to the side because what are people going to say about me about standing for the Lord? Right? And so we're having this moment right here where this irreligious person is saying, no, 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 you know what? I'm more concerned about what the people are saying. So here, here you go, Jesus. I'll wash my hands. And then we have him with the crowds. The crowds are in an uproar. They're, they'd rather have a murderer instead of Jesus. They'd rather have someone who can lead them against the human oppression, against the evil that they thought was before them. But what we see that they didn't comprehend they did not understand that Jesus was the true king, the son of God, who would give his life in, 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 as a ransom for many. So what we're seeing here at the end, family, is that Jesus is both the answer to the religious folk and the irreligious folk. That Jesus is the answer that the gospel is a central component to it all. Because as the religious people look somewhere else, Jesus Christ is the true Lord and Savior. When you try to find your own methods to save yourself, Jesus is the only way of salvation. When the religious folk are thinking that by the way that I obey and how well I obey, my moral record is what's going to save me. Jesus is saying that's not good enough. Again, both parties. Jesus is the central figure. So he is walking to that point, that passion, the willingness to suffer for you and I. So now, we close up with this, family. It said that he was led away out to be crucified. We're going to be going into the next uh, few Sundays with this picture of the crucifixion. But, but all of this marked for a reason, was building up the case right here. Was building up this importance for us to see who Jesus is. When we are out in our community, out amongst the families, out amongst the friends, it is important that we, we, we deepen our conviction to who Jesus is. Because there will be moments when we are around People that don't believe in God, that will mock us for our faith, but be reminded that we have one in Jesus Christ who already stood in our place in those moments. So if Jesus was mocked, you and I will be mocked. But Jesus stood. He stood there before his accusers. And as Peter says, silent before his accusers. He didn't have to justify himself. He didn't have to defend himself. And so, when we are out there, we will be challenged for what we believe. But take courage, family, 
because Scripture says that Jesus has overcome the world. And His peace is our peace because Jesus is the true peace that comes from God for us. So today as we reflect, as we, we end this time and we're reflecting on what Christ did for us, be reminded that you and I were just like Barabbas, but yet Jesus took our place. Be reminded that the, at the heart of the gospel is the death of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be learning that the power of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the glory of the gospel is the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so we are looking through this, embracing this, savoring on this. Who Jesus is. Because as Jesus told Peter, who do you say that I am? It will be important that when they ask us, who is Jesus to you, that we can give an account to who he is. And not allow the fear of man to motivate us, but the fear of God. Let us bow our heads. Father God, we thank you. You are worthy to be praised, O Lord. We thank you, God, that we're reminded, Father God, through your scriptures, how glorious our Jesus is, that during those times of suffering, he did not back away, but he continued to persevere. This is a reminder to us, Father God, that although we have struggled and we have failed, we have one in Jesus Christ who has been victorious in our behalf. So in those moments, God, that we would look to Jesus Christ by faith, not in our own good work, not in our own merit, but in that of Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, Lord, that you would help us to reflect back on what we've talked about, Lord. If somehow we feel that we cannot identify ourselves with Barabbas, let us be reminded, Lord, that we are all sinners before a holy God. All of us have sinned before you. There is none who is righteous. There is none who tries to do good. For all have sinned before, before the glory of God and have fallen short of that glory of God. And so today, God, remind us of the sweetness of your gospel that realigns the affections of our hearts to be back on Jesus, Lord, to be clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I ask you, help us today not walk no longer in shame and guilt, but be reminded that we've been liberated because of the cross. So today, family, before we open up this time of communion, I would ask you that if there's anything that you're struggling with that you have to get right with God, take this time where you at to cry out to the Lord. Know that He is hearing you. He is not far away from you. He is a God who is present with us. He invites us through His Scriptures. He says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is an invitation to all of us. Come before the Lord Jesus Christ and cling to Him and Him alone. 
Maybe today you find yourself and you say, man, I have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you find yourself there and you've never trusted in Jesus and you know that if you was to die without the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would not spend an eternity with God, but as Scripture says, an eternity apart from God in what we would call hell. The righteous judgment that all those who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will spend that time there. But Scripture says that Jesus has invited us to believe in Him. The only thing that stops you or separates you is faith. Turning to Him in faith. So if today you have not trusted in Him, I encourage you, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Cling to Him and Him alone. Forsake all other ways of salvation because only Jesus Christ can save you.